Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you to join us for a bit of an adventure where we go bananas for Keyforge, for its community, and of course, for the excitement of Discovery. I am your host, Ed Pocock, back from New Zealand on the other side of the world and uh, safe and sound at home. Uh, And I'm joined as usual, by co-host Zach Armstrong. Zach, good to speak. Yes, you too. Hello there, Ed. So with many of us stuck at home and in quite unfamiliar situations at the moment, I think we want to take the opportunity just to share with you some of the silver linings that we've been finding through the games we've been playing. I must say that games have become even more escapism for me than they were before. It's a real chance to actually get away from a screen, uh, which which is increasingly nice in lockdown, and come away from that and just kind of experience something entirely different. So... We're all fans of Keyforge here, and we're also fans of these games. So by methods of deduction, I think that some of our listeners, Zach, might also be interested in the same things. What do you think? I I am of a hunch that some of our listeners play more than one game. So I what? think I think <laughs> this will be helpful. <laughs> I think this will be helpful. Yeah, it does. It does feel uh, it does feel a little exciting and new to talk about something not Keyforge on here. But uh, we will certainly talk about whatever uh, things you enjoy about Keyforge that we see in these games, things we discover, um, the kind of atmosphere these games create. I think you will recognize some some common feel good themes uh, among the things we've picked here. Absolutely. And we are each going to talk about two or three different games um, and we're going to constantly bring that back to Keyforge talking about in particular the the replayability of those games the accessibility of those games and of course and most importantly the fun factor of those games you you play games you play games for fun Ed I know I just play games to 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 feel bad you know know, that feel bad (laughs) moment <laughs> to, to crush my opponents. <laughs> I'm a hardcore gamer. Mm, yes, I think if if uh, our listeners have any takeaways from this podcast so far, it's that we are both very hardcore gamers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there really is anything more cool of Discovery though than talking about other similar games that our listeners might enjoy. 
No, it's true. It's true. Shall we shall we dive into them? I've got a pretty interesting one first on the list here. <laughs> what is our first game, Zach? <laughs> I hope it's not too on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, that uh, unfortunately, I think I think it is. Now, the designer of this game actually wrote an article because of how on the nose his game is. And that game is, of course, uh, Pandemic, specifically the Legacy version, which is a separate game. So a little bit of history of the Pandemic game, if our listeners are unfamiliar. It came out quite a few years ago at this point, maybe early 2010s, uh, mid 2000s, I want to say. And it was the uh, one of the earliest and most successful cooperative games where you are working with your other players uh, against the board. And in Pandemic, like the name suggests, uh, you are fighting multiple worldwide diseases and trying to find the cures while keeping uh, the world from going under. So, it is a, a bit of a bit of uh, levity for uh, a chuckle it, when when getting this to the table. The legacy version is uh, specifically came to my mind when we we're talking about games with elements of discovery, because the legacy version is designed to be played uh, over and over again with the same or very similar core group of people. And what happens is that a story unfolds as you play. As when you start the game, you're playing a very pretty regular game of pandemic. You've got these characters. And then as things go along, you uncover secrets about uh, how the diseases are changing or things that are going on and the world related to the diseases. Your characters have relationships with each other. They can take scars when bad things happen. Your characters can even be lost, which is an awfully dramatic circumstance whenever it happens. And... All I can say about the long-term experience of it, you're going to get anywhere from 12 to 24 games out of it, depending on how well or badly you're doing. Um, but it is an amazing journey, an amazing story to play through that you will you will have just one of the best times learning that story as the game throws things at you, sometimes in between games, sometimes in the middle of a game, things will change, which is really all I can say without giving too much away. Um, and I, I can't recommend it highly enough as a as a story-driven experience with plenty. Well, maybe not story-driven, but there's a thick story layer on top of the beautiful mechanics that adjust every few games at least uh, as as you play through as you play through Pandemic Legacy. So That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So how much replayability is there? How many chapters are there in, in this Legacy game? You play through uh, what the developers lovingly call the worst year in humanity's history. Uh, so you play through 12 months. If you, you play a month once, and if you lose, you play the month again uh, to try to beat it. They call that early and late. But if you win in the early part of the month, you move right to the next month. Yes, so you will typically just get one playthrough of it. You could uh, remove the stickers and reset stuff up for another playthrough, but honestly, you'll get so many hours, and unless you are very, very good and very, very lucky, you'll definitely be doing more than 12 games of Pandemic Legacy. Um, If you haven't played Pandemic before, I'd recommend... Uh, playing it normally several times to really get the hang of the mechanics before diving into the legacy version because you do want to have a, a good grasp of how things work. But and it, from what I've heard, you don't actually have to buy the Pandemic itself board game to do that. Can you just use the the first scenario of the legacy board to 
to actually get a feel for what normal pandemic would feel like. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. They have made the map a touch friendlier with an additional connection between cities. There's a world map that your your pawns trapes about in search of cures. And yes, you could set, certainly play regular pandemic on the clean initial board. Uh, but the whole legacy idea is that you'll be writing on the board, writing on the characters, ripping up cards when you don't need them anymore. There's quite literally a destruction mechanic that says destroy this card, which means rip it up and throw it away, which is, uh, you know, against some of my, uh, against some of my intuition. <laughs> I have to say with board games, especially being a Keyforge player, if I destroyed a Keyforge card, well, there goes the deck. Yeah, that's quite quite distressing, but there's a sense of fun, a dark sense of fun that goes along with destroying cards at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it really goodness. is. It is fun to see which of your friends get the most squeamish doing that. Yes, yeah. So how many people is this for, Zach? Anywhere from two to four people. It can uh, support support that number. We played through at three, which was which was a good number. I think it's a touch more difficult at four while you have more characters. Uh, more turns go by before it gets back around to you, which means some more bad stuff is happening on the board, which is a concept you'll be familiar with if you're in do uh, if you've played regular pandemic. So two to four, two to four people. Awesome. And uh, there are two seasons out currently. Yes, that's correct. The first season is the regular pandemic board game that you you start out playing the regular pandemic board game and then move into the story that complicates things, changes things up a bit. And season two, which uh, we have just started with my same group, is apocalyptic rebuilding. People are living on havens and... Spoilers. (laughs) <laughs> yes, well, well, that's only if you lose the first season. But season two assumes you uh, the first season was lost to to some degree. But yes, this is all back of the box text. Uh, but it is post apocalyptic rebuilding. You are moving out from coastal havens where you are keeping the last of humanity together, and you actually have to discover and explore and build out the map from there, which is uh, quite quite a fun quite a fun mechanic. Again, all, all back-of-the-box stuff. Look up the back-of-the-box online, and I'm not telling you anything you won't find there, but that has been quite fun. Different mechanics than regular Pandemic, but still a very fun experience. Super cool. Is this something, I mean, I'm going to be stuck at home for a little while, I think, probably, uh, being in a large metropolitan area. Is this something I can play through with my partner, do you think? Or how deep are some of those game methods? Do they build upon each other nicely? Is it accessible enough? It is pretty accessible. It is quite accessible if you know the rules of Pandemic. The one thing I will say is you want somebody who is willing to re-reveal the rules every few days once you yeah. if you're playing it frequently <laughs> or every other, every other play because it's easy to miss some of the rules, especially the new ones that complicate things a touch. Mm. Uh, that is that is the one thing that anywhere online you'll see people recommending just to double check the rules before you start another play so you don't miss so you don't miss something either something good that's helping you or something bad that you need to that you need to be implementing. Uh, but it works well at two. I have heard haven't the chan- had the chance to play it at that count myself, but I've heard it works quite well at two. Awesome. Awesome. So it sounds like accessibility and fun factor are there and replayability, of course, some of the challenges that come with the legacy play system, but still you're playing it for 
I, I mean, you mentioned a dozen different game nights. That's that's still a lot of value out of the box. Oh, yes. It's worth, I think it goes for about $60, uh, $60 USD merchant suggested retail price, which for us was uh, a wonderful value for, for what we what we got out of it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, if, if we want to escape the pandemic, we can we can go to another one. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And if you want to escape that pandemic, um, I think, let's see, I think we have a light, fluffy, uh, uh, light, fluffy, nice hearted game to move on to next, don't we, Ed? Yeah, let's go even darker. Let's go even worse than the pandemic. <laughs> Pandemics make uh, make everything feel feel uh, feel light and fluffy, as you put it, in comparison to this. I'm going to talk about a game that I play a lot, possibly more than Keyforge under normal circumstances anyway, but it's definitely taken on a new life for me under lockdown, and that is Arkham Horror, the living card game. So Arkham Horror Living Card Game, for those of you who are unacquainted with it, is a co-op living card game set in Fantasy Flight's 1920s Lovecraft-inspired Arkham Files universe. You can have one to four players playing this game, and I, I, I can actually attest it's one of those few games that is just as good at four players as it is for solo. So it's a very flexible game, and for me, whereas I'd normally play with a group of two sometimes and then a four sometimes um, and very very different experiences at both of those player counts i'm now playing a lot of solo both in terms of solo and two-handed solo where you've got you're essentially playing for two players because it's a co-op game it's really fun to do that and um i'm finding it's it's i'm re- almost rediscovering everything with the game it's uh, it's an amazing experience so the game itself has you as an investigator um, an unlikely investigator at that solving bizarre mysteries that are beyond your imagination for the for the help of our of our listeners who might not know lovecraft is that is that similar to richard garfield's game bunny kingdom or my little pony i mean lovecraft just very similar as that in fact, it really does draw upon the same themes of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of unstoppable madness, which rabbits are well acquainted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. So, okay, not not like Bunny Kingdom. Got it. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a deck builder as well, but it's not one of those deck builders like Dominion where you build the deck in the game. You actually go away before the game and, and pull that deck together. But for those of you thinking, oh, I, I'm not sure about deck builders, the meta is usually very similar. With Arkham, it's all about the theme. It's all about building a deck that you find fun. Um, so I quite <laughs> I much prefer building janky weird decks than building incredibly efficient decks because I have a much better experience with the story and the narrative and that's really what it's all about with this game so your deck is the personality of the investigator complete with their strengths their quirks and their weaknesses as well you might draw a card and it might be the the last thing you want to see so it's a location-based game. So you will essentially move through the different locations of a mystery and try and progress what you're doing in your investigation against this, what I can only describe as a bit of a doom-filled ticking time bomb. Um, and that ticking time bomb takes place as an, an encounter deck, which is the, the designer putting all the nasty things that are going to stand in your way for solving a mystery. These these scenarios, they vary a lot in length. They go between 30 to 45 minutes for one player to anything up to two hours when you've got four players there. So different experiences for, for different things, but it's just as engaging, I think, for all players um, at all, all times. And I have to say, this was my first introduction for the Lovecraft universe. 
And despite that, I think the game's still super accessible because there's so many pulpy moments. It's not all about feeling helpless against an impossible foe. There's just so many fun kind of B-movie moments in the game that, that make it really, really enjoyable and memorable. And at the end of the day, it's those memorable moments that we, we remember and we come back to, I think, when we play games. Well, that sounds that sounds lovely. So it sounds like the, the concept is you build a deck around an investigator and then there are packs you can buy that are scenarios that you run that investigator through. Is that right? Exactly. Mm. So for anyone who's unfamiliar with the living card game model, they, you have a core set and that would be your first purchase. Some people will say go for two core sets. Don't think you need to now because the game is well established enough that as you buy extra things, extra scenarios, you'll you'll just, you know, you'll you'll build up player cards. Everything comes with more deck building options and you grow your pool of deck building possibilities little by little, which is yeah, perfect. So every month they release something and this game's been out since 2016 so you've got tons of options we are linking below to an article where you can you can explore what to get next if you've tried out that core set and you want more and this is from frank and peter who uh, are the podcast hosts of drawn to the flame and frank has been on this podcast previously but also they have a great episode on their podcast which i'll also link that provides a bit more of an in-depth introduction to the game and all of its systems but I really do recommend this. The LCG, the living card game model, almost serves as a bit of a, an R&D, investing in research and development for the future of what co-op games could look like and the many possibilities of them. The mind just boggles, Zach. Wow, yeah. I know we're a bit in the earlier days, relatively speaking, of the idea of these living card games and to have something so interesting like Arkham Horror is just uh, excited to see where people will take it next. And it sounds like Arkham itself is already very well established. I know people have discussed, I haven't played it myself, but the Lord of the Rings living card game is very similar where you put together decks of allies and go through adventures together. Uh, if, if anyone prefers a Tolkien-esque theme to a Lovecraftian one. And that's the amazing thing, I think, with these things, because the Lord of the Rings game, I believe, came out in... 2011 and uh so it, they've clearly been able to release things month after month and keep the game supported so it's great to have that community there together for a really long period of time which i know for maybe some of the competitive equivalents that maybe living card games but also things like collectible card games that may maybe slightly less long-lived on average wow yeah and and you said these investigators often have weaknesses that come with their their decks as well they do, yes. So hmm. the weaknesses aren't just in the encounter decks that you face, but also in your own decks. Every person has flaws, and they try and build out these investigators to really feel like real people when you're Ooh. playing them. They've got to deal with the emotional baggage that they come into that scenario with, and in more ways than one. I think this is probably one of the key differences between this game and the Lord of the Rings game as well, because Arkham has a real campaign feel. So once you get beyond that core set, you dive into a, a campaign which is a, a eight different scenarios um, but essentially one story and we've had all sorts that i've played the first three so far and i've got the the fourth and fifth waiting to play and i'm gonna i'm gonna make the most of that during the lockdown but i've had indiana jones we've had a, a classic lovecraft romp i'd i'd refer to it as we've had witching um uh witches on on hilltops all these different things that you you, you see and find and it's really captured with this campaign feel because the choices that you make during 
each scenario and maybe you fail, maybe you win, that impacts what happens in future scenarios in unexpected ways. So by the time that you get to those final scenarios, you've had a very, very, very different story to a hundred other game groups playing through the same scenarios, even with the same investigators. So it might seem like a very narrative-driven game, and I realize one of the weaknesses of that is quite often that lack of replayability. But with this, that really isn't the case because you have all these branching paths. Wow. Wow. Sounds fascinating. Sounds fascinating. Very exciting. So if you're up for for feeling even more helpless than you you were before and you want to dive into something very, very dark and foreboding, then... uh Try Arkham Horror. <laughs> <laughs> mm, maybe, maybe we'll have uh, Ed, you and myself started out as Arkham Horror investigators. And I was just thinking about what my weakness might be. Might be something of a of a weak stomach, or or oh, I don't know, I don't know. What would my all right, we'll have to ask Peter and Frank. <laughs> yes, we'll have to ask Peter and Frank or our patrons what our weaknesses are. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So, uh, our next game, Zach, I know that this is one that's slightly more lighter in tone and one that is very, very close to your heart, but also one that our listeners are probably going to be a little bit more acquainted to in coming months. So, <laughs> tell us. Yes. Oh, I, I hope our listeners are, are more acquainted. So, I'm going to talk about the Genesis role-playing game system. This is by FFG, and the nutshell version of what a role-playing game is, for those who might not know... The idea is that you are creating a story with your friends. You all sit around the table, take on the roles of characters, and cooperatively tell a story together about these characters going on adventures. Think if you are familiar with uh, video games labeled role-playing games where you take a character, move through a story, or a adventure, adventurous uh, movie where these characters band together and as a party go on a journey together. Um, and a role-playing game allows you to do that by telling your own stories with people. So everybody will create their own original character in whatever style they want to. And there will be one person who is the game master. And what they do is they act as the kind of processing power if it was a video game, the processing power behind building the world, except, you know, if you've played video games on the edge of maps, they used to do this thing where you'd get to the edge of the map of the world and then you just hit a blank wall, right? Well, in an RPG, because you are the game master saying, okay, here's this town you're in. Here's an issue in the town. What do you do? You can respond really any way you want to. And when there's uncertainty about whether or not you'll succeed, you roll dice and the dice will tell you whether or not you succeed or fail. And uh, in most systems, if your character is better at something, say your character is a fantastic archer, maybe very good with a bow and arrow, you will, uh, however the dice are rolled to determine success or failure, you will likely have a better chance at success if you are a skilled archer. So these, this allows for all sorts of inventive storytelling. The GM's role will be to give you a, a scenario to, to address, right? And you can address it however you want. Let's say there is a small village and the chief's, uh, the chief or chief Tess's uh, son has been kidnapped by goblins. And uh, 
Uh, maybe you want to go make friends with the goblins and offer them a tasty boar in exchange for the sun. Maybe, maybe you do and you just go fight the goblins because you don't feel like being diplomatic. Um, you know, maybe you sneak him out. Maybe you do a frontal assault. Um, you know, maybe you ally with a larger goblin tribe that has sway over them. Who, who knows? Who knows? The possibilities are absolutely endless. And you don't just have to play in fantasy. You can play in science fiction. You can play in other established universes like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. You could play in the modern day or the modern day with a twist if you want to. Really, the possibilities the possibilities are endless. And uh, this one pairs awfully well with being in quarantine because you can do it so easily uh, over a video chat service like you know Zoom or Google Hangouts That's or something awesome. like that. This is something that I have very limited experience with. I have played one session of D&D in my life, and that's it for role-playing. And I am absolutely stoked and excited about the prospect of playing a lot more once the the forthcoming uh, setting book for Keyforge comes out for Genesis. But Zach, uh, you play a lot of Genesis, and, and what is it specifically about Genesis that that appeals to you in comparison to the many, many other RPG systems out there? Of course, there are many, and most of them are very much worth trying. But what makes Genesis different is most systems have a, or at least uh, I should say at this point, with how many there are out there, the kind of original RPG systems had a binary pass-fail mechanic. You know, if you're doing something, you say, okay, Game Master, my character walks across the room and opens the door. Assuming it is a normal room and a normal door, you know, no chance of failure there. Your character does that. But if your character says, you know, I want to stand up in the middle of this party and convince everyone, convince everyone they need to join the rebellion, you know, that's going to be a bit tougher. And so what you would do is you would roll a die. And if your number is usually at or above a certain number, you succeed at the task. And if it's below, you fail. It's where the storytelling is out of your hands, out of the GM's hands. But what Genesis does is it does have that pass-fail part. So you roll, you see if you fail, or you see if you succeed. But it also has another axis. So it almost turns out a bit like reading tea leaves, but once you're used to it, it makes more sense. You get a bunch of dice, positive dice for everything, helping you get the task done, your your skills, any situational bonuses. Like maybe maybe you were you know you were homecoming king last year in the speech uh, that you're trying to get everybody to join the rebellion. So you get a little bit of a boost because people are going to listen to the homecoming king. And but um, and then you roll against negative dice and they all have a variety of symbols on them. Uh, There are success symbols and failure symbols which cancel each other out and you need a success symbol to be left to succeed at the task, uh, not to be canceled out by another one. Then there are other symbols called advantage and threat, which is what really makes this system special. Uh, And those two symbols cancel each other out if they show up, but whatever is uh, unresolved, whatever shows up is uncanceled at the end. Uh, the threat means something bad happens regardless of whether or not you succeeded. And the advantage means something good happens regardless of whether or not you succeeded. A lovely uh, example from a Star Wars game I've run in years past is uh, I had a, uh, a friend playing a droid who was very sneaky and he had buried himself in a small gravel hill uh, waiting for some for some baddies to come by so he could attack them. And he jumped out. He failed the check, but rolled five or six advantage, I want to say, which is so much advantage. So 
I got to say, all right, you're not going to stab these people. You're not going to, uh, you know, achieve an attack against them, but something else really good happens. And what we decided was that he missed them, but his attack shifted the gravel hill they were on. And there was a small, just <laughs> gravel slide and all of the baddies ended up in the bottom of the hill, uh, ended up at the bottom of the hill prone and a bit dazed. So he didn't get an attack, but he then put them in a much more advantageous position for his allies to, to, uh, to do what they needed to do. So it really sets the ground for some in-depth storytelling in comparison to maybe the slightly more mathematical approach of some of the other role-playing games. Yes, yes. Uh, there's still math because you need to count all the symbols that show up. And so I will say, especially for any game masters out there who want to try the system, one, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. Two, just keep an eye on your pacing when you roll because other systems, you just roll one die, count the number, and then you're done and you can continue on. With this, you roll a bunch, count up all the symbols, and then decide what to do, you know, what happens based on the mix of symbols you get. So uh, it can be a little bit slower, but it offers it offers up so many interesting opportunities where the dice say, okay, the dice tell you you failed, but something amazing happens. Awesome. What is that amazing thing that happens? <laughs> or you succeeded, but something terrible happens as well, which can also be very interesting and sometimes worse. <laughs> I'm so excited to get started with this. But Zach, for people like me, I suppose, listening to this and thinking, I don't have much experience with an RPG it's a big book. Where do I get started? Is is there a really high barrier to, to getting started and having having a bit of fun with this or or is it actually quite accessible? I would say it is accessible if you uh, find yourself somebody to uh, walk along with you as you as you learn it. Um the if you take nothing else from the segment on role playing games, um, as long as you have a good game master in your first game, I would say don't even worry too much about the mechanics. And this is would be an expectation you'd want to set with your your game master. But just focus on like playing the character in the story, and then the GM and the other players will help you say, okay, okay, so you want to hide behind the shelf. Uh, you're going to need to roll these dice. Okay, roll them. Okay, here's the result. And then you'll start to see, okay, here's what my character's good at, my character's bad at. So I would recommend uh, finding a group to try it out with. There are uh, subreddits and people you can contact on on Twitter, different social media. Um, I would say for Genesis, it's a pretty friendly game. So so Reddit is a, is a good place to look for a tutorial game there with somebody who would be willing to try it out. I also know that a lot of local game shops, if you have one nearby, uh, at a minimum, know who wants to run games and they might have introductory nights for different role-playing games that they may have moved online at this point. Um, so they might have that, but at a minimum, they know who their role-playing game people are. And often a GM, I have done this before, will say, hey, friendly local game shop owner, could you let me know if you have anybody interested in playing? So some of our listeners in this segment on RPGs may have heard that the FFG RPG department got shut down some months back, which is uh, correct and unfortunate. I do know historically RPGs, not the biggest moneymaker, even for somebody like Wizards of the Coast. Um, still very sad to see. 
But fortunately, the, now the news you may not have heard is that these RPGs, several of them, including Genesis, got picked up by another Asmodee company called Edge Studio. They picked up Genesis, uh, of course, the related Star Wars role-playing game, which is the, the spiritual mechanical predecessor to Genesis, as well as Legend of the Five Rings and some others. So we will continue to get Genesis content. That being said, I would anticipate it probably being a little bit less frequent than it is currently. So I really want to plug uh, what's called the Foundry. You can find these Foundry products on DriveThruRPG, the digital PDF site for RPG products. And what the Foundry is, is fan-made products for Genesis. There are a lot of people who have been passionate about the system ever since it came out and for many years before because the bones of the Genesis role-playing game um, and most of the rules are from the old, from the Star Wars role-playing game that FFG has been putting out. So I would highly encourage you, if you're taking a deep dive into Genesis, especially if you want to run it, I would encourage anybody to at least give running it a try. It, being a game master can be intimidating, but I promise you, if you put your mind to it, you can absolutely do it and have a brilliant time. And check out the fan-made stuff. There's a lot of good things out there that people have been putting together. Those of you in the Keyforge community will be familiar with Coder Extraordinaire Sky Jedi. And um, I have to confess that as I was looking for online tools to run my Star Wars game that uses the same system Genesis does, uh, I checked bookmarks of a dice roller I had bookmarked, oh, four five years ago, maybe. Uh, And I looked at the URL that I had bookmarked all that time ago, and it was (laughs) dice.skyjedi.com, which was a lovely surprise. Um, So there are a lot of resources out there, and you might recognize some names if you go looking for them. Um, And lastly, if you're creating content for it and want some an editing eye, uh, some former members of the FFG RPG team are offering uh, editing and kind of rules, you know, a rules editorial pass on your content for what is an absolute steal of a rate. You can find them. They're one of the uh, most upvoted posts on reddit.com slash r slash genesis rpg so check that out if you're interested and i'll also feel free to reach out to me directly if you are willing to willing to uh suffer through me just me just singing the praises of this system but i would be happy to point you in the right direction or or find some resources for you get you started with it because it's really a lovely hobby awesome thanks zach listening to this i i am genuinely excited to get started with this and these guys that are now offering their their services on on the foundry are the people that i believe put together the secrets of the crucible setting book so who better to help our community build out the world of the crucible than the people who have previously translated it into this brilliant system oh yes Oh, yes. And anyone who's been into the Star Wars FFG book, one of the editors is Sam Stewart, which uh, if you have read the bylines on any of these books at any point, Sam Stewart is all over them and has done so much for the the Star Wars, this this generation of Star Wars RPG. So a very high pedigree. Can't really get much higher for, for this hobby. Super. Speaking of super, uh, what's what's our next game we're going to dive into here, Ed? Oh, nice transition. I could not pass that up. (laughs) That was on the money, Zach. Oh, gosh. And our audience already know what we're going to talk about, obviously. Um, 
we are going to talk about another FFG game because uh, we are absolute unashamed FFG fanboys. Um, we will talk about one thing briefly that's not an FFG game, but this is definitely still an FFG game and it deserves to be spoken about because it's been occupying a good deal of my time. But I know, Zach, you haven't tried it, and I hope that what I say about it is going to make you want to. This is, of course, the Marvel Champions living card game. So another living card game, but this one's much newer. So this was only released in November 2019. So it's the same kind of idea. There's monthly releases, there's things coming out, but it's a little bit less overwhelming in that you've only got a couple of releases out at the moment, but well, a few more than a couple. But there's there's enough to, to sink your teeth into, but without sort of uh, trying to work out what to buy first. So the game, as you can probably imagine, pits Earth's mightiest heroes against their formidable foes. Uh, the core box comes with an absolute ton of content, and I believe that this isn't the standard for LCGs in the past, particularly the uh, competitive ones, but the core box really does come with everything you need. And even though I bought a few expansions that I'm looking forward to diving into, I am still exploring the core box and I've probably had about 25 plays, if not more, of Marvel Champions so far, both solo with two players and with anything up to four. So the core box comes with five different heroes and three different villains to play against. Um, but the real sweet deal here is that you have these modular encounter sets. And I mentioned earlier the encounter sets for Arkham Horror, the encounter sets essentially being the deck of cards that you are playing against. In this instance, that is the villain. But you have these modular encounter decks that mean that you're seeing this villain, but you're seeing many, many different situations. Maybe Hydra is working with this villain against you, or maybe there's a bomb scare, or maybe all of these different things are kind of coming together. And it means that you have have these very very different play experiences your heroes also have their own nemesis of course they have a nemesis they're heroes heroes always have nemesis uh nemesises i don't know what the plural is for that but let's move on um Heroes always have a nemesis and your nemesis could come out at any point when you're fighting any villain and just say, hey, Spider-Man, not today. And Spider-Man's like, oh, no, it's you, nemesis, who I've forgotten. Who is the Spider-Man? Nem Spider-Man's nemesis is Vult Vulture, the Vulture. And yeah, so you have all of these things happening all the time. But I must say, it feels a lot more like Keyforge as well than Arkham Horror. So it almost feels like a mashup of those two games where you have essentially the mechanic where you draw up to a full hand at, every, at the end of every turn. So every turn feels like a puzzle. You've got to work out what's in my hand, how can I use it, and... Like Keyforge, you have to have limited resources of some kind. You can't just have people playing out their entire hands. And the way that Marvel Champions manages this is the cards are your resource. So you spend some cards in your hand to play other cards in your hand. So you're constantly making these sacrifices. Oh, but I want to play this and I want to play that, but I can only play one of them. What's important now? What's going to help my teammates? What's going to help everyone sort of get ahead of the villain's dastardly schemes? So every turn is a bit of a puzzle. It's a really crunchy game in that regard. And that really builds into the co-op side of this game. Because another benefit of this game is it is turn-based. The villain has a turn. The heroes have a turn. But 
it's a bit more real time than that because at any time you can request actions from your your teammates you can say hey spider-man i really need a hand with this right now can i can i use one of those cards that's in your hand so it keeps that co-op mode that everyone's kind of got their own hands but when you need to help out your fellow heroes you can do that to save the day well it sounds like it's really built around this uh co-op experience that we've seen we've gotten to see a lot of popular media with superheroes it sounds like a pretty good time to get into it definitely and i think the the thing that's really struck me of this game, I played as all five heroes in the core box. There are a few more heroes out there for me to play now, and I've got those expansions, and I'm super excited. But every hero feels truly unique. They feel unique to themselves, and that's because a lot of the cards in the deck, it's a deck-building game. So you do have a deck building component and you can be Spider-Man that's a leader. You can be Spider-Man that just wants justice. You can be an aggressive Spider-Man. You can be all of these different things. But Spider-Man is, of course, still Spider-Man. So a degree of those cards, I think 15 cards in that deck, and you do see a lot of cards because you're drawing up so much, are just Spider-Man's cards, which makes Spider-Man feel like Spider-Man and allows Mm. the design team, and it really is a big, I think there's a proper design team working on this game, allows them to explore some super cool things and to to essentially print cards they just couldn't print in other places because they know that those cards are only going to be used there. Wow. Well, what an interesting idea that we get to see how creative card designers get when a card is locked into a deck like that in the spaces they can explore, which is something I guess we've seen now both in Marvel and in Keyforge. Um, Definitely. Marvel. Yeah. Marvel with the purpose of making the superheroes really feel like the particular superhero that so many people know and love. Uh, I have to say that's one been one I've been very tempted, very tempted about. We've got a few Keyforge Keyforge friends who are into this game besides just you, I think. For the the most ardent deck builders, once there's a much bigger card pool, people will be able to explore all of these wonderful deck building opportunities. But for people that maybe like those shuffle builders, those modular deck building games where you don't actually have to build a deck, you can just smash two things together. Yeah, you get the experience of loads and loads of different possibilities but without the the time taken to deck build i i'm certainly someone that sits in the middle of that sometimes i i have the time and the appetite to go crazy with deck building and sometimes i just want i just want to start playing and i think marvel champions does a great job of offering people both of those options yeah it sounds like it really does i know even the people who want that crunchier experience have still been quite satisfied with with what they've seen everyone from uh Keyforge's own Boulevard Paper Fight, all the way to Zach Bunn of uh, Team Covenant, both of whom have uh, graced graced the podcast with their presence. Uh, they've everybody, a lot of people have been really enjoying it and really endorsing it. So I definitely uh, say give it a shot. I think I think I should too. I should probably get yes. a shot. Yes, <laughs> yeah, check it out. Absolutely. And this is this is important to say as well. This is one. It's a very different game to Arkham Horror in a number of regards. It's a lot more. I mean, the theme is lighter, of course, but I think it's a more accessible game as well. And it means that you can just hop in, you can play a scenario, it's quicker to the table and you get through it and then the scenario is finished. Of course, the flip side of that is there's less of a campaign story 
you get so much depth of narrative and adventure in Arkham. Whereas sometimes I think I finish a scenario in Marvel Champions and I want to know what the story is. I want to I want to have that conclusion. I want to have an extra bit of a wrapper. And it's just not there with Marvel Champions. But I know that they're thinking about how to build that into the future. And so the release model for this game is every month there is a release. There are hero packs. So you'll get Thor or Miss Marvel. And these will come with a fully playable deck. So you'll have the hero and you'll have some of the deck building aspects that you can have with them ready to play. But you'll then have a a few deck building options in there as well. So you can build your deck pool. uh, And if you're someone that just wants to play something out of the box, you can just do that. So it's much more accessible than I think probably any LCG to come before it. Um, The other thing I haven't mentioned, which is mind-boggling, I haven't mentioned it because it's one of the best aspects of the game, is the fact that villains don't just want to beat you up, but they also want to finalize their schemes. So they've got a grand scheme. Maybe they want to take over the world or maybe they want to steal your aunt. You know, they've got a plan and it's usually something zany and weird. And Marvel Champions captures that really well because you'll not only want to beat up the villain and defeat them physically, but you also have to stop them from advancing their schemes. So the game is a push and pull of doing those two things and if the villain completes their schemes and and rules the world then you've lost and if the villain beats you up then you've lost so there are different things going on and what's balancing all of that you as a hero you've got to balance the fact that you're not just a hero 24 7 you're also a real person you know you're paying a mortgage you've you've got uh you've got a family to deal with you've got all of these things going on so of course you can be your alter ego as well. So Peter Parker's got to be Peter Parker sometimes. Peter Parker can't be Spider-Man all the time. And it's really that aspect of switching between Peter Parker and Spider-Man and, oh gosh, you know, the villain's done this now. I really need to go and be Spider-Man. But I'm still stuck here being Peter Parker for the moment because I've got these obligations to, to deal with that really makes the game feel like a TV series or like a comic book strip. Wow, sounds like they've gone pretty deep in with the with the theme there. I, I have seen the art of the cards with the alter ego on one side and a superhero on the other. And it definitely looks like a lot, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Definitely. And I'm glad you mentioned the art there, Zach, as well, because for me, I'm, uh, I mean, I guess you could describe me as quite shallow for this, but the art is is a big factor for me in whether I buy into a game or not. And Marvel Champions, as with, I think, all of FFG's products, has exceptional art. So, yeah, definitely a, a real bonus of the game there. Hmm. Well, I think to call yourself shallow for enjoying the art uh, on, a, on a high level will probably be an insult to many of our listeners as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think Keyforge tends to draw people who... Uh, Often draws people who who enjoy the art. I know some people have confessed to uh, hardly glancing at it, uh, which is a completely fine. But yes, the art the art is really thematic. I believe even the templating of the cards, how things are laid out, emulates an old comic book quite a bit. It does, it does, and that allows I think the game to really differentiate itself from the the cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. We all saw the controversy when the video game tried to to go in the middle of that and didn't maybe differentiate itself enough from the cinematic universe and got a bit of a fan backlash. So I think the game's done a really good job there of, of setting itself aside and apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's one more game that we, we want to mention because... 
I think this and this Zach, I know this is something you haven't tried, but I think it's almost very apt for all of us. A lot of us are stuck inside at the moment and we're probably wanting to escape. But of course, we can't escape to another escape room. However, there are escape room games which you can play if you're on your own. But you can also play them if you're with a small group of people or with your partner. And for me, these games make a great date night in. So there are two main uh, companies here. And one of them is an Asmodee, uh, <laughs> Asmodee brand. And the other one is not an Asmodee or an FFG brand. So it's something entirely separate. So mm. these are the Unlock and the Exit series of games. So basically, the idea of this is you have one box. It's, uh, it's about £10 for a... A box so this there's not much replayability here once you've worked out the escape room you've worked out the escape room but for the cost of a keyforge deck i think there's still a lot of adventure and fun to be had in there and it presents you with just a, a, a series of puzzles and lots of lateral thinking to try and work your way around things and both of these games do it in different ways so Exit the Game is by Cosmos. It's a German company, and they've made a series of these games. So the the thing here is, and it's a negative, you do have to destroy the game as you play it. But it also allows them to create some really fun and engaging puzzles, which they simply couldn't do otherwise. For Unlock, this is the Asmodee uh, company. I think it's based in France. It's a Space Cowboys. You do not destroy the game. It's literally a deck of cards, um, but it is supported by an app. And I know that might be a benefit to some. Some of our listeners might think, great, I don't have to destroy a game. Some of our listeners might think, hey, no, I don't like games with apps. Keep it as a game or keep it as a video game. Don't do in between. But yeah, these are the, I, I love both of these sagas. And um, I'm trying to play Unlock a bit more than Exit because for me, Unlock, I don't have to destroy anything. And the great thing is I can just pass that along to a friend to have a have fun with once I finish with it. But yeah, they're, they're all good fun and uh, great brain teasers. Excellent. Well, we've really enjoyed uh, talking about the, these games. Well, we enjoy, and we hope that if you've been looking for something to do, especially if it's uh, something getting away from a screen, I know I work in front of a screen and then uh, I do a podcast in front of a screen. So it's nice to be able to pull away to things like this. Uh, so we will link all of these in the show notes. If you've got any questions about them, don't hesitate to reach out to us and and uh, figure out how to how to discover them. Uh, we promise we won't tell Keyforge if you try one of these games. If you don't tell Keyforge <laughs> that we made this episode, so <laughs> I think that's a very good idea. It can be our secret, Zach. <laughs> Indeed, our our little secret, us and everyone who listens. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today for Call of Discovery as we discover some other games that we hope is relevant uh, well in the future, but also for this time when many people uh, are, are stuck at home. If you're enjoying the podcast and are willing and able to support us monetarily, our Patreon is linked below where you can put your own weird and wonderful decks in the spotlight and have a say in our future through our Patreon-only Discord. Either way, please let us know what you'd like to see more or less of in future shows. Also, subscribe and leave a review on whatever app you listen on. That would help us out immensely. And give us a follow on social. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as Call of Discovery. Or you can email us at discoverkeyforge at gmail.com. 
But most importantly, above all that, if you think a friend would enjoy the podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery? enjoyed that but i do realize i just kind of went blurb when talking about games i really <laughs> not